for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 133. Wow. And I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is a friend and brilliant woman, Wendy Wexstein. Wendy's the Director of Wellness Programming at Northern Michigan Psychiatric Services. She received her bachelor's degree in science and physical therapy and her master's from the University of Michigan. She's a certified wellness consultant through the NAFC, certified in mindfulness-based stress reduction for teens, and is an MBSR teacher through Brown University's Mindfulness Center School of Public Health. Wendy provides comprehensive health and wellness evaluations for children, teens, and young adults, as well as individualized evidence-based fitness and wellness programming to support their mental health goals. As always in this episode, I'm going to share my points to ponder so you can have something to do right away when the podcast is done. And remember, please don't just download the episodes, click that subscribed button because I need you to join my parenting revolution. We're on iTunes and the PGK podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. Friends, I need to tell you about my brand new free webinar called When No Stops Working. It's all about teaching your kids how to stop being rude, backtalk, fighting, and how to get them to get along with you and their siblings. Check it out. MeekerParenting.com. You will love it. The webinar is free when no stops working. So parents, thanks for listening. Stay with me. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Wendy Wexstein. You are really going to enjoy this interview. Well, Wendy, welcome to my podcast, and thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Meg. It's great to be here today. You know, um, you've been teaching kids and adults about um, the importance of, of living a healthy lifestyle, and you work with them to develop tools for emotional and physical well-being. And I will say, you're extraordinary at it. So how do you get started in this? Well, that's a good question. Um Early on, really, in my career as a physical therapist, it became clear to me that addressing lifestyle as a critical part of clinical care was something that was being neglected, really not viewed as a priority. And so it became obvious to me that across the board, really, in healthcare, this was a significant limiting factor to our ability to achieve desired outcomes or to reach our treatment objectives. And it contributed in a large way to recurrence of disease or re-injury. Notice that it limited the possibility for patients to achieve their greatest potential, maybe their fullest level of independence as well. So you saw through working with people physically, that it was lifestyle and something else going on inside them that was really affecting their physical health? Yeah. So if you think about it, um, 
you know, there's a hundred, I did the math on this, there's 168 hours in every week. And so as a physical therapist, if I'm seeing them once a week, what are they doing those other 167 hours? And, and what they do during that time in terms of behavior and lifestyle can profoundly impact mm-hmm. our ability um, for quality of care and really to have these sustainable results. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an area that I, I was... Um, I've always felt clearly needed to be addressed. And also, you know, my personal lived and felt experience of leading a healthy lifestyle, integrating it every day, um, you know, into my daily routine and just noticing the profound impact that it's had on my life physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally. Um, That along with all of the science and research and studies, right, that show uh, the impact of lifestyle mm-hmm. on disease prevention, reversal of disease, better management of disease, quality of life. So all of this, you know, naturally drew me in that progression of moving towards wellness and bringing this not only into a number of different settings uh, clinically, but also to the general public. You know, people might intuitively know what you're talking about, but most mm-hmm. people don't know how to get there. And I would say you really practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what's so cool because, you know, if you look at your lifestyle, you're very, very healthy and you're, you're really living what you talk about. Now, you've um, integrated your work into an outpatient psychiatric clinic at Northern Michigan Psychiatric Services. How did that come about? And why was it important for you to do this work in an outpatient psychiatric clinic? So interestingly, um, actually, this this work I'm doing right now uh, at Northern Michigan Psychiatric Services, I have to say it's probably the most rewarding uh, time of my life. I was drawn here. Actually, I'd have to say pulled here by my husband, who's a child and adolescent <laughs> psychiatrist. Yeah. And yeah. he was seeing, you know, really seeing what I was doing, um, primarily in brain injury programs. That's where I spent much of my career setting up wellness programs. And he really wanted to be able to offer this within his clinic. Um, in this practice, particularly, um, he, along with the entire team, they recognize and acknowledge the essential and critical uh, benefits of lifestyle in terms of mental health benefits. And so Mm -hmm. what a pleasure to be involved here and to be asked to integrate this into their, into their program. So that's, that's basically what drew me or, or um, brought me here. And I've been here for um, a number of years now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you do a lot of mindfulness training. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of people don't know what mindfulness is. They've heard about it, but mm-hmm. can you explain to us what it really is? Yeah. So, um, yes, I do quite a bit of one-on-one and group mindfulness training and offer mindfulness classes. That's a, a huge part and a necessary component uh, that I integrate into an entire comprehensive wellness program. But right, right now, mindfulness is this catchphrase. Yeah. It's uh, right. It's yeah. trend. It seems to be somewhat trendy. trendy. Yeah. But it, um, so people have a basic idea of what they think it means. And I'm more than happy to describe it um, in more detail. So basically, on the simplest level, a simple way of describing it is it's, it's our choice to pay attention to the present moment and to do so on purpose 
without judgment. Instead of um, where we often spend our time, which is traveling into the past and into the future with worries and ruminations and uh, judgments and self-criticism expectations. And so entering actively and actively engaging into an experience with more inquisitiveness, curiosity, with freshness, as if it's the first time. And this is just a simple definition. (laughs) That's simple? Okay. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, can we unpack this a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to try to reflect what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, what you're talking about is to focus on this moment in time, like right now, you and I talking, and to say, what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? Um, how is my body reacting? When you say to stay in this present moment and focus on it, how do we do that? Mm, good question. And I'm going to come back to what you just, you were laughing when when I said this is simple. Um, John Kabat-Zinn, who is where I've done most of my training with this work, he he says a wonderful quote that, you know, this turning our attention to the present moment sounds relatively simple, but it's actually the hardest thing in the world to do, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So, you were right on when you mentioned that. Um, so, yes, you 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 named it fairly well that it it's this conscious decision, this deliberate choice to shift our attention from where it has traveled in the past and future to whatever it is that arises in the moment. So yes, that can be recognizing and bringing conscious awareness to our thought patterns, to our emotions, maybe to how that's manifesting in the form of a physical sensation, right? Our emotions and this body-mind connection, bringing awareness to this, and then also bringing awareness and touching closely in perhaps to our five senses. Hmm. So, bringing awareness to our surroundings, to what we hear and what we see and what we smell or taste or feel so that we can gain more insight learn more and investigate what's actually happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. Instead of really interesting, we are wonderful storytellers. Mm -hmm. We create intricate narratives that are often false. Mm -hmm. We wrap our experiences in layers and layers of emotion and meaning that make it really hard to see what's actually there to be known. And and do we do that because of our past experiences? Mm. And so our past experiences sort of layer what we're telling ourselves now? Absolutely. That's definitely one of them. It's it's our past experiences. It's our associations, memories. Um, Much of it has to do with just simply human nature. I like Mm. to call it our human condition. This is is easy. It's an easy path for us or a slippery slope for us to fall down. We have very strong, natural neuronal pathways that take us down this path. Um, And so, mindfulness, what we're doing is we are actually working with the neuroplasticity of our brain to retrain our attention, to cultivate awareness, and to strengthen and create these new neuronal pathways so that they're more accessible, easier to fall into um, when needed. It sounds like you're doing a lot in that moment Mm. because 
in mindfulness, through mindfulness, you're changing your thought processes, you're changing um, your storytelling, perhaps you're resolving some past issues, and you're you're changing your brain. I mean, you're you're really um, creating new neuronal pathways. That's a lot. So no wonder mindfulness is so powerful in a person's life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is a practice. This is why you hear it called mindfulness practice or meditation mm-hmm. practice. This is it's it's like any other practice, soccer practice or swim practice mm-hmm. or when we weight train. It's strengthening a muscle. It's actually strengthening the tissues in our brain. So the more that we practice, the more we are laying down and setting in and establishing this pathway. And the, and the pathways that we then tend to not use, just like a muscle that's not used, will begin to atrophy or begin to prune away. Mm-hmm. So entering into this with um, without expectation, with gentleness, um, knowing that this is a process and um, bringing kindness and compassion to the process is a very important part of mindfulness. That, that's a hard part. Because I, I think in general, I work with a lot of mothers and fathers, and one thing they really have difficulty with is being kind mm-hmm. to themselves mm-hmm. and, and non-judgmental to themselves because it seems like, you know, parents are constantly looking forward to preparing, 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 and are they going to do it well enough and where should their kids go to school and mm-hmm. what if they this and what if they that? And it can really um, sort of drive them crazy. Now, I want to get a little more specific here with you, so I'm going to press on you because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this really does work. Can you um, describe some areas of maybe health or well-being very specifically where mindfulness can really help a person? Absolutely. If it's okay, Meg, what I, what to get me to that place um, – I just want to describe a little bit more about what's happening, and then I'll lead into some of these um, profound oh, absolutely. Poten- potential benefits. Um, mm-hmm. So, if you think about it, I think one way we can relate to this a little easier, it's it's clear to us, is we, we notice that we have a lot of loud, incessant chatter mm-hmm. going on in our brains all the time. And Actually, it's in this space of chatter where where we are traveling to the past or to the future, where we're wishing things were different, mm-hmm. where we are regretting or um, maybe being self-critical or judging a particular action, or we're wanting things to be a different way, or we're racing to get to that next moment mm-hmm. um, with an expectation of how it will be. So this chatter is loud, incessant, it's chaotic, it's exhausting. And this is where our suffering, this is where we tend to suffer the most, mm-hmm. our strong mm-hmm. emotions. Um, they're being, our, our emotions, These this chatter, is being perceived by our brain as if it is a threat, an acute threat. And we tend to be in a more constant state of fight-flight as mm-hmm. if we were faced with directly 
in front of a tiger. And it causes this instantaneous release, this rush of cortisol, really over 30 different hormones in our body that begin to surge through our body to prepare us physically and emotionally to be in the state of instantaneous reactivity ready to fight off that tiger. You know, you, our heart begins to race. Often you notice breathing. Um, this is where this awareness of what's happening in the body as red flags or as signals to us that we've entered into the state of fight flight. But there is no tiger. There is no real threat. Um, this is a really just false alarms. And so with mindfulness, one of... Um, the things we work on with this practice is bringing awareness to when we are in this state of mind, when we have entered into fight flight, which has activated a part of our nervous system called our sympathetic nervous system. Do people system. know it when they're in it? What does it feel like? Well, typically we are unaware. Typically mm -hmm. we walk through life unaware. This mm -hmm. is, we're on autopilot. We don't, we don't recognize um and, and mindfulness is about bringing in awareness. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, it, you are able to bring awareness to this, to know this and to recognize it simply by stopping and pausing and intentionally bringing awareness to your thought patterns, your emotions, and to these red flags or physiological sensations in our body that give us this clue that, you know, right now I, I am being reactive. Um, my emotions are driving the bus. I don't feel like I have control. I'm on this treadmill that I, I, I feel like I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. I am helpless. Boy, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And I'm sure right. it's, it's everybody in our audience can, can relate to that. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So, so, um, Keep us moving forward. Yes, so, I'll so, move us. Okay. Yeah. yeah, let me. I'll, so, uh, almost getting to that point of what this helps. So, so here we are now, starting off with this awareness, which is which is essential. It is is part of the centerpiece of mindfulness. Just stopping, intentionally bringing awareness, and this is what's wonderful about mindfulness is that um, we all have the capabilities. We have the inner resources already within us. We are whole. We are complete and capable of this. It's just simply that we have not untapped or uncovered this power, this, this resource within us. So, so as we learn mindfulness, we learn that we can stop and pause. We, we learn to cultivate our ability to bring awareness to our emotional state. And then we also learn that we have the ability and the choice, which is a big word, to shift our attention from this loud chatter that has drifted away and come back into the moment with our five, one or more of our five senses, maybe with the physical sensation of our breath, with our feet and the touch of the soles of our feet to the surface of the earth. Um, and as we do this, what's most amazing to me neurophysiologically that when we intentionally direct our attention here and now, this disengages fight flight. This activates what's called, as you know, our parasympathetic nervous system. And we can enter into this state of calmness, peacefulness, where the chatter suddenly begins to settle down into a low simmer. And we open up this space in our minds where we suddenly see that there is clarity. We, we, 
we can gain insight into, again, as I mentioned before, what, what is actually happening here mm. that's not wrapped up in my emotions. Um, and we're able in this way to now moving forward to your original question of what can this help us with? Well, my goodness, one of the, I guess, the most possible, possible greatest possibilities or potentials of this practice is that we can um, become less reactive. Mm. We can pause and make the choice to respond with more thoughtfulness, more wisely, with more kindness or compassion, right? More wisdom, maybe with more forgiveness um, to whatever that original trigger may have been. And so other areas where this really helps um, to get back to your question now. So this reactivity, we mm -hmm. have, we can impact and affect this. Um, it affects our ability, our focus and attention, our overall cognition as we practice and strengthen these pathways, M greater ability to perform at school or at work. A lot of studies, over thousands of studies that have been done on disease prevention. Wow. What kind, like physical diseases? Physical uh, diseases of, of the body as well as diseases of the mind. Mm -hmm. So studies that have shown that with regular engaging in regular mindfulness practice and meditation, we have the ability um, to affect heart disease, wow. uh, to have an impact on skin disease, cancers, diabetes, it, it, the list goes on and on, to um, impact um, and affect or to help with the symptoms of ADHD, yeah. anxiety, depression. Uh, I mean, I have a list here that just goes on and on. Eating disorders, self-harming behaviors, addictions, pain management. Oh, big one. Really? Um, really? Yes. So say I came into you and I have, which I do, mm -hmm. migraine headaches. Mm. And I came in and I said, Wendy, I really want to learn how mindfulness can help my the pain of my migraine headaches. Mm -hmm. Where would you start? Oh, well, I love this question because I too have migraines. And so oh. I've had the ability to explore for myself the possibility here. Um, and again, this, this isn't easy. This is challenging initially, but there is quite a bit of um, potential here to affect this. What we, what we typically do when we have pain, when we're experiencing physical pain, is we resist it. We fight against it. We don't want it. This chatter starts in our brain. So you're not going to tell me that I have to embrace it, are you? Well, let's talk oh, about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Keep going. Keep right. going. And, and we do this in our life with everything. We don't yeah. want. We don't want this unpleasant. No way. Yeah. 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 Why would we? Right? Why mm -hmm. would we want something unpleasant in our lives? But with mindfulness, we bring awareness to the fact that as we push away and resist what is here, anyways. We're actually increasing um, tension. Right. We're we're making the experience actually grow um, because we are attaching and entangling ourselves in these emotions, and it's mm -hmm. so subtle. Very difficult initially to notice that that is what we've done, and so with mindfulness practice, we begin to explore this by very gently touching in and leaning into the experience. Maybe sometimes just dipping your toe in and mm. just taking a quick peek, you know, just I, turning I your... that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we all can. Mm -hmm. We fear it though, yeah. right? We have a fear. And, um, you know, with my years of practice and, and actually the time I think I had 
um, actually uh, the strongest, um, I guess, aha moment with this was at a silent retreat I attended where I did experience a disabling migraine and my my uh, uh, rescue meds weren't working. And so I said, okay, here we go. This is my opportunity. These, these provide us with opportunities, challenges, um, body and mind. So this opened up an opportunity for me to explore this in silence with a lengthy meditation and to just rest in the stillness of my breath um, in the present moment. And as I felt ready with kindness and compassion, I could turn my inner eye directly towards this feeling. The pain? And the pain. Okay. To, to really turn my inner eye right to where this was happening. And at first, maybe just being able to look for a split second mm-hmm. and to recognize, oops, I'm becoming reactive. I'm going to come back to just maybe my breath. When I felt ready, I maybe dipped my toe in and I and I started exploring it and teasing it apart. Oh, it's sharp here and it's moving here and it's mm-hmm. throbbing a little. And wow, it has texture. Oops. I'm getting reactive. I'm going to come back to my breath. And I did this over and over. And each time I'd go back in to explore, I noticed that it was dissolving somehow, yeah. like like magic and um, interesting. And, and so this is what's possible, not saying that this is easy, but in our life, this is something with mindfulness that we begin to um, we begin to touch into what's possible here. Mm-hmm. When people come to you, 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 like you said, you've been doing this a lot. What are some of the more common problems that you see mindfulness turn around and really mm-hmm. help? A number of them. One of them I'd have to say, which has been um, just wonderful to experience and to witness with my teens and adults um, especially my teens, I'd have to say. They're, they're like sponges and yeah. open to this experience. So many of the teens dealing with strong anxiety yeah. or adults and that um, experience panic attacks. Yeah. Can you walk me through that? Because it's exactly right. And now with the COVID, I'm seeing a number of teenagers come in with depression and they're just scared. These kids are really scared. And so I don't necessarily know how to how to do that so if they came into your office and they said I want to learn how to use mindfulness to get past my anxiety so you would sit them down and then would you have them close their eyes how how would you Mm -hmm. begin them through the process Right. And there's a lot to that, but I'll tell you sort of a, um, as I'm working with them, we, we ultimately get to, I talk about these four steps um, and I, I use them in different acronyms uh, the, for the teens as well as for the adults. But it all begins with this stopping and pausing. Mm-hmm. And so the first step is to just bring awareness to the fact that right now I am I'm a, about to enter or I'm within the midst of fear and panic, severe anxiety. And pausing and just noticing what, like I had mentioned earlier, how how does this feel in my body? What what am I thinking and what are these emotions? And maybe even labeling it. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I am um, fearful, anxious, panicked. And then making the choice at this point to simply take one or two deep breaths just to help with this pause. Create space. Because remember, with fight, flight, there's no space. Right. With fight, flight, we are instantaneously driven into some form of habitual reactivity or habitual self-harming behavior whatever that may be. So how do we how do we intentionally open up and create some space? So stopping, pausing, taking a couple deep breaths and then 
choosing to focus on perhaps the sensations of the breath, usually um, just to simplify it, we, we sometimes talk about we have this choice to attend to the sensations of the breath, perhaps to the feeling of our feet touching the earth or our hip bones touching the chair, maybe taking the cotton out of your ears um, figuratively or, um, you know, and actually listening intentionally to the sounds, maybe the ambient noises or sounds, perhaps opening your eyes and focusing on narrowing in attention or maybe broadening, maybe just simply looking up and noticing the clouds or the trees, um, smelling, opening up to smell. And during this process with patients and resting here, sometimes um, fairly quickly, we have already disengaged fight flight. And the next step then is then to proceed thoughtfully, then to perhaps be able to look at this from a different or fresher perspective and make a wiser choice. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Wendy. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Wendy. People in panic attacks feel it's almost like fear has taken over their body. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I'll say, let's sort of shift your thought. But they say, I can't shift my thought because something has taken over me. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is you really can crack that thought and move in there and dissipate it by going through this mindfulness process. Is that what you're saying? It's possible. This possibility is there um, and is a very real possibility. One thing I'd like to emphasize is, you know, this body awareness is, is extremely important with mindfulness. This is sometimes the key that opens up our insight of awareness into the fact that we even are in the midst of panic or fear. It's not just about thinking. So talk to us mm-hmm. about body awareness and how people can do that. Yeah. And, and, and so with mindfulness, um, we do body awareness practices in a number of different ways um, in order to experience and to recognize that we actually live inside this vehicle to bring awareness to, to this body that we live in and this connection, direct um, channel to mm-hmm. our emotions mm-hmm. and our body. There's this connection. And so we do this through mindful movement or a gentle yoga practice, bringing awareness and using the physical sensations of the body to help anchor us to the present moment, just like we may use the sensations of breath or sound or smell or sight. Um, I, I work with mindful movement as well mm-hmm. as mindful walking. And so, mindful walking is something that um, many of the participants really connect with um, Mm -hmm. because we can do this um, and enjoy the process of being mindful, experiencing the sensations of the body as well as our five senses during walking. We also do this with body scans. And so, a body scan, yeah, in stillness, experiencing and turning your inner eye, sort of shining that flashlight onto the different parts of your body intentionally and waking up your body region by region. It's uh, quite profound and noticing what is there, just bringing awareness to whatever the sensations may be just as they are. Okay, so I'm lying down on the floor Mm -hmm. and you are coaching me on how to be aware of my body's senses. 
do you say things like what do your feet feel like now or how do you how do you get people to be aware of their body sensations yeah and again this is something that um gently entering into this practice because it's very common during these practices for our mind to wander this is normal this is right so our minds think this is what it does our nose smells you know our brains think and and it's nothing we should again fight against or resist so recognizing that that as our mind wanders and I'll, i'll talk about how i guide it our mind will wander and not to be harsh, just to be kind and to know, again, bring awareness. Oh, that's interesting. That's where my thought is. I'm planning dinner or I'm thinking about a conversation I had yesterday. And instead of being dragged away down a rabbit hole into the unconscious, maybe wrapping it in emotions, um, just noticing it. And then with firmness, but kindness, redirecting intentionally your attention back to wherever it is that I am guiding. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, um, we, we do this very kindly with ourselves, recognizing we go in and out and just coming back. And it's this practice um, without any expectation or harshness. So yes, I may start with lying down and noticing the breath or the contact of the body and then ask those who are joining me to direct their attention down to the sensations of their toes just to bring awareness or to the soles of their feet um, maybe to notice the tingling or the pulsing or the contact of the sock mm-hmm. or the coolness of the temperature um, and then oh, my mind may wander but then when coming back and it, it's um, it's an enlightening insightful process and and doing this also accepting your body just the way it is without wanting to change anything Maybe if there is a difficult or uncomfortable sensation, doing uh, your best to see if you can simply be with the sensation just as it is, um, separating yourself that doesn't define you. Or if it's too much, maybe coming back and distracting yourself with mm-hmm. the breath, mm-hmm. not forcing it. Um, so it's, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling more relaxed just <laughs> as you're talking. Yeah. Because really what you're talking about is so important from my perspective for young kids and teenagers because you're talking about quieting their mm-hmm. inner world. Mm-hmm. And our kids are, are so stressed constantly, constantly, constantly. And they feel it internally, but then you add to that all the auditory and visual stimulation that never lets up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard for me to to convince parents, if you have a son with bad ADHD, the worst thing you can do is put him in front of a violent video game. Mm -hmm. Is it where he concentrates? Well, sure, because his mind is racing and what's happening on the screen, it's racing and screaming at him. So, so really, it sounds to me like learning this technique, you can close out a lot of that external noise like you talked about. And I think that would be amazingly helpful for kids and adults with ADHD. Just just mm-hmm. as you described, okay, you're sitting there and, and I admit, I go to pray, I fall asleep. <laughs> and then I beat myself up because I fell asleep. Okay. Um, but, but you're really talking about paying attention to where your mind is going mm-hmm. and just kindly pulling it back. Does it, so are you saying a child or an adult with, with pretty bad ADHD can really um, 
um, change the neural pathways of their brain by retraining it to stay focused on something? Definitely. I mean, re, you know, to a degree. And of course, um, there's a spectrum of attentional mm-hmm. issues that we all have, all of us. Um, and those that are suffering from more significant attentional issues with ADHD, uh, this practice is difficult. But if they enter into the practice gently and realizing that if you wander and, and your attention drifts away a thousand times, that that's a thousand opportunities to redirect your attention and to um, cultivate this ability to bring moment-to-moment awareness to all the experiences of your life and to, and to cultivate this ability to let go of what's not needed and to strengthen slowly these neuronal pathways in your brain. Again, like weight training. So um, it, it has been shown to, um, to have a, an impact absolutely on attentional issues if it's approached in that way. And that's often difficult in the midst of my classes, no matter how many times I mention that, people are still harsh. They beat themselves up like you said. Oh, I wandered. I didn't do it right. There's no wrong way to do this. There's only accepting what is. And if what is is that I am wandering and my attention has drifted, then each time you notice celebrating that and saying, this is an opportunity now. I am now present with my thought. Mm -hmm. This is what it's about. It did not take me away, or maybe it took me away, and now I'm present with the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what is, and and I'm bringing myself back. Talk to me about people who have experienced significant trauma as a child, mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. I think they would be terrified of a process like this. Absolutely, and and this trauma sensitivity is extremely important, especially um, in in all mindfulness, um, with mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is, um, that is where my training, and I'm a teacher of MBSR, um, trauma sensitivity is something that has always been um, something that they've been sensitive towards, but even more and more as the years have moved on. And and as, uh, you know, we realize that mindfulness can be um, quite beneficial, also, it can be harmful mm-hmm. um, if people are not ready or are not guided very carefully through the process. Because mindfulness, a lot of what mindfulness is, is recognizing in any given moment what is needed by our body and our mind mm-hmm. and taking care, offering ourselves self-care. And when we are thrust so quickly into fight, flight, Mm -hmm. um, and and more so with PTSD or severe trauma, um, you know, that that can be quite a difficult um, and challenging experience. And so often I I don't, I I interview people that are going to take part in my class. We Mm -hmm. talk about traumas recent or um, prior traumas, and often I'll work with them one-on-one mm-hmm. in addition to the weekly class and modify their meditations and their guidance so that they um, learn strategies and tools to enter into this um, feeling more in control and safe. Mm-hmm. So you brought up a, re- a very important Well, it's point. so common. I mean, PTSD yeah. and sexual trauma. Yeah. And I've often had, uh, say, a parent of a 14-year-old say, you know, my daughter was molested by our neighbor when she was 11. Can you help her work it out? Mm-hmm. And in my experience, A, I'm not a, a counselor or psychiatrist, but some kids 
can't. I mean, it seems like they need some emotional and cognitive maturity Mm -hmm. before they can do that. Do you agree or do you think that if you take a child who has been traumatized three years later, you can help them through mindfulness? What would you recommend? Well, you know, there is mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, which is something that has um, grown from this practice of mindfulness. Somebody um, who has experienced trauma like that, mindfulness can be quite effective. A program like mindfulness-based stress reduction, if it's done in conjunction with the right amount of support. Mm -hmm. So, um, if, if you're working carefully with a therapist who understands mindfulness as you're going through this intensive training, um, perhaps delicately we can work towards this. And, and it has that, again, potential um, if it is done slowly and carefully and tenderly mm-hmm. with this individual. Absolutely. But um, having a therapist involved as well um you know, is very important and working with them and knowing if this is the right time to be engaging in this. Okay. It might not be exactly the right time mm-hmm. um, to move forward, to be leaning in, as I mentioned. You know, a lot of this is about leaning in and seeing what's actually there, um, unwrapping and untangling ourselves, you know, seeing through the muck and knowing what's yeah. really happening. But it, but um, if it's going to thrust us and be harmful, then we need to back away from that and know what's needed now and maybe this isn't the moment for that Mm -hmm. you know one of the questions is can a person do this to themselves can if if you explain how to do mindfulness Mm -hmm. can i go in my study and take an hour a day and just do it or is this something you have to learn from a coach well i that's a great question um there are absolutely avenues to be doing this on your own and to start to tap into what's possible with mindfulness, to start to experience these um, profound benefits. Um, there's apps, there's different videos and programs that are free. There's there's a tremendous amount of them. Even Brown University um, has been offering throughout the pandemic Um this is where MBSR training occurs in free guided meditations on a weekly basis. And so that's one area where you can um, enter into this experience safely and gain um, some awareness of what's possible. Also, one thing that you could do right after this podcast, you could you could walk away and bring some of this very simply into your everyday activities. So you can be not only mindful with walking and with eating, but I often sneak away and um, incorporate mindfulness with washing my hands that's that's like entering into this brief it's a lovely lovely every or or washing the dishes or folding the laundry um so being present in terms of feeling my breath and my body maybe noticing the activity of my mind or the felt sense of an emotion stopping and then intentionally choosing to wash my hands and actively engage in the experience so for two minutes or one minute as you sing happy birthday twice right <laughs> yeah. uh, when you when you wash your hands <clears throat> actually hearing the sound of the water bring you know directing my attention smelling the soap watching you know the bubbles and the lather feeling the lather um, and the heat bringing in all my senses including this awareness of my breath 
And and often, you know, 60 seconds later, um, I've entered into a state of peacefulness. I have settled down this angst and this activity and see things with more clarity. And I can just walk out of the restroom or whatever um, with a fresh perspectives, which wow. is a lot of what this is about. We can do this anytime we want yeah. with yeah. any activity. Yeah. So you could take that right now and do that. Right now. Um, I would imagine with the pandemic, you've been doing a lot of training, MBSR training via mm-hmm. screens. Um, how has that impacted your practice? And is it different if you're with a person versus on a screen? Has that been hard? Interesting, because when this first happened, and um, I realized, okay, here we go, um, do I or don't I begin to jump into this whole Zoom world? Um, and I did, I just, I, I looked at it as an opportunity, mm-hmm. and did, and I, I did not know how it would go. I, I, I had fear about what would happen. Um, but I have to tell you, it has been a pleasant silver line. There have been some amazing silver linings from this experience. As in any crisis, often we find opportunity. And so, um, of course, I'd like to be one-on-one with people. There are tremendous benefits about that. I miss that experience. But I have a large screen TV, and I see everybody's face right in front of me. We are actively engaged in the process. There are breakout rooms, ways to join in on um, whiteboards and shared screens. And um, I can record. So if people miss the session or want to review the session. So there's actually been some lovely um, benefits. And I have found it, and I believe the participants have found it to be um, a wonderful experience Mm -hmm. too. So I'm going to always now, I've chosen, um, I'm going to do sort of a hybrid of offering a Zoom class and an in-person class when this ends. I think there would, a lot of people would in in some ways prefer a Zoom because They can do it at home. Mm -hmm. They can be in their pajamas. (laughs) They can do it anytime, you know, whenever your classes are offered. And I think, you know, if somebody were um, hesitant or uh, a little timid in in doing this, it, it gives them a little chance to sort of watch and wait rather than having somebody look right at them. So I think it would take some of the fear out of it uh, for some people. Now, you talk about uh, classes that you offer, um, Mm -hmm. and you do uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction um, classes for teenagers and adults. Tell us about those classes, if you would. Do you you put teens with adults? Do you do teens Mm -hmm. separately from adults? No, I offer these as separate separate programs. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are both mindfulness based stress reduction, eight week structured um, classes. The teen class is also known as MBSRT or stressed teens. Mm-hmm. So I advertise that as my stressed teens class, and that's basically a modified version of the original MBSR class that was developed by Gina Beagle, who is somebody who um, was trained from John Kabat-Zinn. I'll talk about that class in a minute. And she wanted to offer the same opportunity that would be more accessible Mm -hmm. um, and more developmentally appropriate, um, looking at more modern day issues that teens are dealing with, including this um, technology era that we're in. And um, so that's been incredible. I think she was genius in how she designed it. And I have um, been felt honored to be using that curriculum and expand from that for the teens. The adult class, the mindfulness-based stress reduction class, um, that is also an eight-week group-based, highly experiential 
class uh, that offers intensive mindfulness training to help with a host of stress-related emotional, physical, um, psychological issues. Um, we work again with um, mindful, with movement practices, yoga, meditation, and looking deeper and exploring into these uh, habitual ways and patterns of reacting and behaving and thinking. So, um, and and it also includes a full day silent retreat that is guided that I've been doing on Zoom, which um, also offers. How so do you do things. that on Zoom? Yeah. So, right. This was another way that I wondered, oh my goodness, because I did it at this beautiful retreat center and you could walk in the woods and the whole, you know, atmosphere of a retreat center. Well, again, the silver lining of this is bringing this practice um, in this seamless way of continuity without your typical distractions mm -hmm. in your own environment is quite powerful. Mm. I have found I've engaged in, um, in a seven day silent retreat myself at home. You, did, you, did, you, you didn't talk for seven days. For seven days at home. But this is how they're being offered now. Um, and I, I have to tell you, it was, it was quite profound to do it in my own um, space. I could see that because then you learn to, I, it, it's almost like you redefine your space. A lot of people will walk into their home and immediately feel a lot of tension because they're used to this happening and this happening. Yeah. But if you break that pattern and say, you know, my home can be a safe, quiet refuge. Now, it's hard mm -hmm. for people who have a, a toddler and a three-year-old and a five-year-old, um, but even to kind of create a space in, in their home. I remember when our kids are little, um, a couple days a week, I would have a high school kid come over after school and I would have her play with the kids for an hour and I would go into my bedroom and sit on the floor and just be quiet. And that, I mean, you know, I didn't know anything about this, but that was huge to just sort of create quiet in the middle of your day. Mm -hmm. um, so f interestingly, my bedroom became my sort of quiet place. Let's see. Um, so do you feel like, have you become busier because of COVID? Have you noticed a shift in the number of patients you have? I think there was plenty of stress to go around even before COVID. Unfortunately, that's always part of our lives. But yes, with COVID, um, people have been reaching out. Um, you know, these, these teens are really struggling mm -hmm. right now. And mm -hmm. I've had so many parents reach out um, or other mental health professionals to make referrals to this program. So absolutely, um, the mental health, you know, there's been such a um, decline in our mental health with oh. COVID and the mm -hmm. polarization of our country in so many different ways. Um, this, it's hard. This is, it's hard, but this is also um, a wonderful, again, this these challenges are also these wonderful opportunities to begin to engage and touch in on this practice mm -hmm. and to see what may be possible. Um, and that's how I like to look at it. You know, challenges open up these opportunities for learning and insight. Wendy, I love acronyms and you have an acronym for mindfulness that really helps. What is that? Well, I, there's actually a few. Um, one of them that is more widely used probably is just this acronym of STOP and visualizing a stop sign and then the S T. OP. So visualizing a stop sign when you feel that you may be suffering in any way. Um, and, and stopping is the S. The T is take one or two deep breaths. Mm -hmm. The O is to then observe your thoughts, 
bodily sensations, um, your emotions, and then to observe and pay attention to perhaps what's happening in the present moment, maybe one or more of your five senses, the breath. And then P is this proceed, so proceed thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's one that people um, sometimes uh, hang on to and like. Another one that I actually created on my own um, is nipper, N-I-P-R, kind of like nip it in the bud. And I created this for my teens um, really with this thought of um, allowing them to continue to gain this awareness that they have control, they have the choice. And so N, again, is notice. Um, notice my thoughts, my emotions, that fact that I am maybe in the midst of reacting right now. I is for, I have a choice. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the key. Just right away, you know, wait, I'm not being controlled here. I'm not dragged away. I, I have a choice in the matter. I can choose what to do. The P is then to pause. Pause and either breathe or Focus your attention on one of your five senses, sensations of your body, um, and and anchor yourself firmly into the present moment, this Mm -hmm. anchor. And then the P, again, is to then um, proceed um, with greater awareness, with fresher perspectives. Uh, Another one that I like to use is PNF. It's for past. The F is future, and the N is now. So PNF. Past, now, future. And so basically that is when you're in the midst of suffering and again, stopping and bringing awareness to that. So it's all about stopping and pausing, Mm -hmm. asking yourself, where am I right now? I'm obviously in turmoil. Where are my thoughts? Mm -hmm. Are they ruminating somewhere about something that's causing discomfort in the past? Or am I ruminating about something that isn't even here yet? Um, And then asking yourself a simple question, is this helping me in any way? And if the answer is no, let it go mm-hmm. and return to the present moment. So PNF is 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 something that uh, teens and adults like to I, use. I use it. I I can use that. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And if it's something if it's if it's something that's not helping, let it go. I I love that. Um, well, thank you. I'm an acronym person. Uh, I guess I'm a simple-minded person, and I can't <laughs> remember letters. And letters do trigger, you know, um, thoughts. So. Thank you for that. We only have a couple minutes left, and obviously without using names, so, you know, patients can't identify themselves. Can you just give us one or two examples, very specific examples, where you worked with, say, a teenager, um, and you found, um, you know, what the problem was and how you found an improvement and a change, sort of a, a before and after? Yeah, you know, I've had, the, working with the teens often brings me to tears, mm. um, which it's, it's just so meaningful, this experience. Um, and, and I'm so touched by working with the adults and this privilege of witnessing um, their journey mm-hmm. through this. It is a lifetime journey. Um, so a teen that I think of um, came into this class you know, strongly encouraged or, or almost, I would say, forced, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be part of this class. And she entered into it shaking and crying, such anxiety, um, severe depression, um, and resistance. 
um, to this experience. And I remember it was in our first meditation with her. Uh, we went outside. This is when we were in person. And we all sat on the grass. And I introduced them to a five senses meditation. And that's where I guide them through opening up each of their senses one at a time um, and just noticing what arises as they do this. And mm-hmm. when I came to her, didn't know what to expect. She may have chosen to just not engage. And she she just told me that for the first time um, in, a, in the, as long as she could remember, she, she felt peaceful and she felt like she was in this world more vividly, like the world around her seemed more real and bright and vivid. And that, you know, just that one simple. And then she went on to just explode with this process and do amazing. I have so many examples Mm -hmm. um, that I could share. We could do a whole podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, So her, her, so her anxiety, what you sound is her anxiety and her fear really just dissipated through going this just through eight, eight weeks. Yes. And then one of the things that also, uh, the same individual did. She was someone who would leave school constantly because of panic attacks. Mm. Um, you know, she barely could make it through a day. Her mom had to pick her up almost, I think, every day, basically. And she, at, by the end of this class, she hadn't, um, she wasn't missing any school. Mm. She was recognizing and able to kind of stop this panic attack in its tracks by using her five senses, um, by stopping and bringing awareness and pausing. And then um, she had a number of different tools she would use for her five senses that would release her and calm down the chatter. And she was able to stay in school. And so, you know, that was, she, you know, these are the type of things that happen very realistically Mm -hmm. um, or potentially. I keep you, I want to use the potential. Well, you know, and I just wanted to put a plug in there for teenagers too, because, you know, I've never met a kid I didn't like because when I see a, a, an angry teenager, I see this little balled up kid sort of in a fetal position going, please, 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 please help me. And even just stopping and noticing. And then, you know, what you do is you sort of dig inside with her. And I think it brings such tremendous relief because, you know, we misunderstand our, our teenagers. Um, um, so much. We have to finish. And, you know, one more thing where oh, I want to ask you two questions. A, can our listeners anywhere in the country or even the world sign up for one of your classes? Absolutely. One of those benefits has been that I have people from all around the country mm-hmm. um, as part of my Zoom class. It's it's wonderful. So, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and how can they find you and how can they sign up? Okay, so the easiest way is to go to my website, which is www.mindfulnesstc, which stands for Traverse City. So mm-hmm. mindfulnesstc.com. And that takes you directly to my class page that's part of Northern Michigan Psychiatric Services website. And on there, you can download class brochures. You can read, you'll see register here. And the other thing to note, I must say, is that um, we, along with Northern Physicians Organization, um, we offer full and partial financial scholarships. So nobody is ever turned away from this experience um, if they are dealing with financial hardship. Mm-hmm. Wendy, this has been extraordinary. I'm ready to sign up. I, 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 I think as you're talking, I think of so many parents I've talked with whose kids, even as young as six years old, five years old, are so anxious and fearful, particularly during this time. And um, I just want to encourage... 
every single person listening, whether you're an adult, whether you're a parent, whether you're an, you know, an elderly person, if you're struggling with something, even if you're not, go to the website, mindfulnesstc.com, and learn about these classes. I mean, it's only eight weeks long, but it really can transform your life. So, Wendy, thank you so much. This has been a fabulous podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Meg. Now, on to my points to ponder. One, integrate quiet into your world. You know, we, including our kids, live with stimulation overload, visual, emotional, mental, and psychological. And, you know, many of our kids live with physical overload as well. The result of that is that our bodies are in constant fight or flight mode. This is terribly stressful on us and eventually we can't take it anymore and our bodies begin to shut down as well as our minds. This happens with our kids as well. None of us was made to live this way. It causes depression, anxiety, and hurts our relationships with our loved ones and friends. And that's why it's so important that we intentionally work on integrating quiet into our days to help your kids slow down. You know, slowing down isn't in most kids' natures. And to tell you the truth, it's hard for us as parents to help our kids slow down too because we like it when they're busy. Kids want to do exactly what their friends are doing. They want to compete. They're constantly in a drive to keep up and do better than their friends around them. This is subconscious, but again, it's really bad for them emotionally and physically. Often, we parents see our kids' behavior and we encourage it. We want our kids to do to be better than others as well. And one way to help our kids pull back is to allow them one extracurricular activity after school. Yes, I said one. And this shocks some parents, but remember this. Kids need more time with you for emotional health than they do playing soccer, dancing ballet, etc., etc. Number three, play. Most of us are so focused on making sure our kids are happy that we forget to have fun with them. Kids who are anxious need play. Kids who are depressed need play. Kids who are having troubled relationships with their families need play. And this doesn't mean playing on their own with friends. It means playing with the family. And that includes you. How wonderful would it be if you had memories of your parents playing soccer with you in the backyard, having family game night every Saturday night, and going on a bike ride every weekend? You don't need to have every member of the family play together at the same time, but kids need play with you, their parents, and you need play with them. Yes, even when they're teenagers. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in to me. You can email me any question to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Wendy Wexstein, for joining me on the show today. If you want to find out more about Wendy and the work that she is doing, I encourage you to contact Northern Michigan Psychiatric Services. So now let's recap my points to ponder. One, integrate quiet into your world. Two, help your kids slow down. And three, 
play. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. 